I just get to be a part of it, and I'm so grateful. Now, Lord, I ask you to reveal to us the Word of God today, the truths that are here, the revelation, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that's in here that we need to know and hear to act on. And I bind and take authority over every evil spirit of hell that would steal a single word out of our minds or hearts. And I command those demons of hell, Satan's critters, to leave this place and not be here to steal anything out of our heart. Now, Lord, fill us with the Holy Spirit and power today and lock these words that are your words into our hearts so we may hide them in our hearts so when we go this week, We will not sin against you, but we will walk holy in your presence. And then, Lord, I ask you to let us take what we'll learn today, and may we use it for your glory, that you will be glorified in all that we do. And we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the King. Wow, glory to God. Do you think we as children of God need prayer? We had a strange experience this last week. Uh, I know that all of us, every one of us as children of God, need to be prayed for on a regular basis. But the other night, Cheryl and I, had we went to bed extremely early the other night. One thirty in the morning. For us, that's early. I'm serious. That is early. You know, we went to bed at one thirty, and at one forty, we were laying there. The first ten minutes while we were there, we were just laying there talking about the things of the day, what all had happened, and and some of the things. And so, and we do that often. Well, so we were laying there talking. Only been laying there ten minutes, and our phone rang, and. Uh, It was Rosemary. Uh, She said, are you two okay? We said, yeah, we're fine. Why? She said, the Lord just woke me up and told me to pray for you two. So I don't know what kind of spiritual battles that were going on. So she prayed for us, and then the Lord would not let her go back to sleep. He kept her awake and kept her praying for us virtually all night. So we had a unique night that night. I will have to say that during the course of the night, in a little while, Cheryl and I talked for a while. And then finally, I don't have any idea what time it was, we finally decided to go to sleep. And we were asleep, and all of a sudden, I don't know what time it was, Cheryl woke up and said, there is a man in a green shirt standing outside. And I said, well, how can you see him? It's through the wall. You know, She said, I can see him. Well, we didn't know what that meant. But there was a man, and she had absolutely no fear. And when she saw that death angel standing beside the bed that night a few months ago, I'm telling you, she was in fear. But with this this person, or angel, or whatever it was, she had no fear. So we went back to sleep in a little while, and in a little while she woke up and she said, There is that man in the green shirt sitting on the throne right above our bed. And he's saying, just turn him over to him that judges righteously. I don't have a clue what that meant. I really don't know what that means. I have not got the revelation yet. 
I don't know who that being was, except I feel like it had to be an angel of God because Cheryl was seeing him and she had no fear whatsoever. But I'm going to tell you, when she saw that death angel standing beside the bed that night, she was really screaming. So when you see these bad angels, the fear tends to grip you. But let me tell you something. Whether you see a death angel standing beside your bed or you see a good angel there, you and I need to learn who we are to the point that we will have no fear. You know, we've got to get there. Because this last week also, a young man that's got a hold of our ministry, he's just a great young man, and he's just doing a lot of study, listening to our teachings and everything, and he's just on fire. He called me and wondered if he could come out and see me the other day, and I said, sure. So he came out, and we were sitting there talking. He said, Thurman, I had a unique experience with God. He said, I've got to work in the mornings way before daylight. I get up and spend time with God before I go to, he owns his own business. He said, before I actually get out in the business world, I run, exercise, take care of my physical body. And he said, I pray while I'm running and I talk to the Lord. He said, this week I was out there just running like crazy. And he said, I told the Lord, Lord, I just love you so much and I love all the things you're doing. And I'm learning so much from your word. I'm studying it. Lord, I want to see into the spirit world. I want to see what's going on in the spirit world. So he said, as I'm just running along, I keep asking the Lord, Lord, please let me see into the spirit world. He said, Thurman, all of a sudden God spoke to me, called my first name. And he said, you're not ready. You're not ready to see the spirit world. See, he's come a long way. And he thinks he's ready. But I heard another pastor one time tell a story the same way. And I was visiting. I was out of town checking a, a big building when I used to. That's back in the days when I used to be an engineer. And I'd been sent out of state to look at a large facility and examine it to see if it was worth what the people were asking for it. And so I left on Saturday and flew up there. And I thought, Sunday, I'll go to church up there. So I just got in my rent car and drove down the road. I said, Lord, wherever a good church is. So I drove down the road a little ways, and there's a church over there on the left. And so I just pulled in the parking lot. I went in. <clears throat> I don't know, there's a couple hundred people there, I guess. And uh, the pastor told, I only remember one thing he told that day out of everything he said. And he, he talked a little while, okay. But I heard him say, when I went to seminary, they didn't teach me about demonic spirits. I didn't learn anything about the spirit world. But he said, after I got back in the church, and I've got my own church now, and I'm studying the Word, I begin to see the spirit world in the Word of God. And so he said, as I begin to study about uh, these spirits and these beings and who they are and the power we've been given over them, he said, one day I'm sitting there at my desk and I just threw my Bible down and I said, Lord... I'm ready. Bring me a demon. You think God's listening? Oh, yeah. So he said, I really believe I'm ready, Lord. So he said, a couple days later, it was a beautiful day. And I thought, well, I only live about four blocks from the church. So he thought, I'll just walk home. So he said, I'm walking down the sidewalk there, going along. And all of a sudden, I pass an apartment complex. 
And said, I hear somebody screaming. Man, I turned to look and said there was an old straggledy-toothed, gray-headed woman. Looked like she is, who knows you know, how old she might have been, but said she looked horrible. And she had a great big long butcher knife in her hand. And she was running straight toward me, screaming. And he said, man... I turned and I ran down that sidewalk and said, my shirt tail didn't hit my back for two blocks. He said, I'm running 90 miles an hour. He said, I'm just going. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice. I thought you were ready. <laughs> he come to a screeching halt and he said, I turned around, look, there ain't nobody nowhere as far as I can see. He said, Lord, I guess I wasn't ready. <laughs> I mean, you know, you tell the Lord you're ready, He'll put you to the test. He did this preacher. So he said, I told him, Lord, I'll repent. I wasn't ready. <laughs> I just thought I was ready. He said, Lord, why don't we do this your way? <laughs> when you think I'm ready, you show me and you do it so, some way so that I'll learn about these spirits but, Lord, I do want to learn about these things because I believe it's, it's my responsibility as a pastor to learn about spirits. So he said a few weeks later, I was walking home again. And he said, all of a sudden, I saw over the street corner uh, several cars stopped and several people on the sidewalk. And it appeared there was somebody. They were all looking. Somebody was on the ground. And I said, what's wrong? And the Lord says, I'm going to train you today. He said, that woman, there's a woman over there laying on the ground. She has a demon. He said, go over there. So he said, I went running over there and said, I've got my suit on and everything, you know. And and they said, are you a doctor? And he said, yes. So they just opened up and let him in. He said, he come in and, and there was a woman laying there on the sidewalk with her eyes rolled back in her head. And she was foaming, foam coming out of her mouth and everything. And they thought she was having a seizure, and that might have been what it was. Because those are demons that caused that problem, according to the Scripture. So the Lord spoke to him and said, Get down over her and command that devil to come out of her in my name, the name of Jesus. <clears throat> so he's on safe ground now. God's directing and leading him. And so I know I've been there and had him do the same thing for me. But he said, I knelt down there, I looked her right in the face, her eyes rolled back, and he said, I just softly said, come out of her, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus. He said, the woman's eyes come back in place, she stopped foaming, she looked up and said, what am I doing here? Who? What's going on? He said, I reached down and got her, and picked her up, and she was totally set free. Nobody there knew what happened, nobody heard him say what he did, only him and the devil. <clears throat> but he said, that's the way God started training me in the spirit world. Now then, we're going to read about some of these things today. We're going to talk about some of the authority that we've been given over these things. But you need to realize, just like I did and like this pastor did, you need to learn at God's pace. You know, when you hear something like this, don't walk out with what you've learned here today and walk out and say, okay, God, I'm ready. Bring me a devil. Because he may bring you one. And you may not be ready. He may be an entirely different kind of spirit than you're anticipating. 
And it may not be a ghastly looking creature. It may be a normal looking man or woman. But inside of those people will be these spirits. And if God shows you or allows you to see those spirits, it can literally shock your socks off. You know, so you need to make sure that you're learning these things, you're believing these things, and you're asking God, Lord, use me for your glory in the area of the spirit realm. You know, I want to know, I want to understand, I want to know who these things are, I want to know how they affect my life, I want to know my power and authority over them, and Lord, everything I do in this realm, I want it to bring glory and honor to your name. And when you do that, then he will use you to do great and mighty things in his name. Now, if you're out there trying to do it to glorify yourself, he's not going to be with you. You know, he doesn't share his power or his glory with us. If we think we're going to do something on our own, it's never going to happen. You're going to have to make sure that you know that you're giving him the glory. Because I'll tell you for sure, you and I could not take another breath right now if God didn't allow us to do it. You know, He is providing everything for us. So if you get delivered, He done it. If you get healed, He done it. And so He deserves the glory and honor for everything. But let me tell you, He is still the Savior. He is still the healer. And He still is the deliverer. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God has never changed in all of creation. He is the same mighty God. So, you know, if he healed a long time ago, which he did because the scripture says so, he'll heal today. But we have to do it the same way they did it back there. Now, I realize lots of people have a problem with the interpretation of Acts 10.38. They don't believe it means what it says. But Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil. Now, if God don't anoint you with the Holy Ghost and power, you're not going to be able to do nothing. Jesus could do nothing until God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and power. Isn't it amazing that the scriptures has virtually nothing except when Jesus was 12 years old. That's when he was teaching the doctors of theology in the temple when he was 12. They were astounded at his knowledge of the word. Now, Jesus spent time with his parents reading and studying and learning the law. He memorized it, I'm sure. He had it in his heart. Well, if you want to have power with God, you'll have to do the same thing. You'll have to spend time with God in his word. You'll have to learn the scriptures. They'll have to be there. They'll have to be available to you so he can call them forth anytime he wants to. Now then, unfortunately, I'm a normal, or I'm a man, let's put it that. I may not be normal, but, you know, I don't know that normal is something that we use too loosely. You know, who knows what normal is? But 
until I began to spend time with God in the Word, I didn't see him do any miracles. And now I know how important it is to spend that time, but yet as a normal man, or a man, I keep saying normal, as a man, there's things of the world, building buildings, you know, you know, doing that, working on trucks, cars, building roads, that I love to do those kind of things. I love to work, you know, and I know I spend too much time doing those things and not enough time with God. I know I'm going to have to start taking a day or something, at least one day a week, and just lock myself up with God. I know that. I know I'm going to have to do that. Cheryl keeps driving me. You know, she says, you've got to do this. And she tells me all the time. So if I ever forget it, she don't let me forget it. She tells me regularly that, honey, you've got to spend, thank God for good women, right, Dave? But they, she knows, she knows where I need to be. And, you know, so much of the time I'm, I get involved in too many other things. And we all of us that are men and women of God know that God, like Dave said a while ago, even when we don't spend the time we're supposed to, God's still merciful and still heals us. I thought about a man, Ty and I, he, he took me to dinner last night after the healing school, and we went and had dinner together, and in the restaurant we went to, I happened to run into a man, and the man I had prayed for in that restaurant. Now then, you think about, where did Jesus go? Did he go to church, or did he go into the world? He went everywhere. He was in the church, and he was in the world. I was in the world one night when I ran into a man that had a bad rotor cuff on his arm. This man don't go to church hardly ever. This man don't serve God. He don't put God first. He don't do anything that I think is right when it compares to the kingdom of God and what the Word of God says. But when he told me that night, he said, Thurman, I got a tremendous problem with my arm. I got a rotor cuff or something bad in my arm, and I'm a, he's very active in sports, and he said, I, I can't play ball no more. I said, let me pray for you, brother. So I reached up and laid my hand on him and said, Father, be merciful to him. I forgive his sins. I ask you to forgive his sins, and I ask you to heal him in the name of Jesus. And I was standing in a, in a restaurant where there was a bar sitting right there, and everybody drinking beer right there. Somebody said, what were you doing in a place like that? Let me tell you, you can't hardly go into a restaurant anymore that don't serve beer. I mean, you can't hardly find one. But I don't have to drink it. You know, that's just like a Coke. Cokes, they're just about as hard on you as beer is, but I don't have to drink them either. But once in a while, I do sin and drink one of them. You know, but I don't drink the beer. You know, I really don't drink it. But still, I think about that scene that night. I reached up and laid my hands on that man in a restaurant where they were serving beer and said, be healed in the name of Jesus. And we went to a restaurant last night and had dinner tied, and I was going to have something to eat. He was going to take me home after the healing school because Cheryl and I came in the car together yesterday. We only had one car. And that man walked up to me last night. He was in that restaurant, and he said, praise God, I'm, I'm healed. I can do anything I want to do. Isn't that amazing? You think God wants to show people how much he loves them? To think, as that man walked off, now this is what I whispered in his ear. I know this man does not walk with God. 
So I reached up in his ear as he started to walk up. I said, Thurman, thank you. I said, it was Jesus that heals you. And I said, I reached over and put my hand on his shoulder and he stopped. And I leaned over here. I said, stop sinning so you can keep your healing. Stop sinning so you can keep your healing. Go to church. Now then, after I said all those things to him, whose job is it to convict him now? The Holy Spirit. That's right. I did my part. I can't walk up and grab him by the shirt collar and and drag him down here and get him to church tomorrow morning. I can't do that. But God can. But I did what I was supposed to do when I laid hands on him and said, Be healed in the name of Jesus. Who healed him? Jesus did. Isn't that amazing? That God would heal a sinner? Honors His Word. Praise God. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus will use mine and your faith to do miracles, to drive out evil spirits, and to heal the sick and do great and wonderful things? When you walk in obedience to His Word, He honors His Word when you do something in faith. And you know, it's an awesome thing to think that this man will, no telling how many people he'll tell, that I prayed for him and, and he was healed. But, you know, a lot of people knew he couldn't play ball no more. They knew his arm was bad. But now he's out there playing that ball. Well, they say, Joe or Jack or Bill or Bob or whatever your name is, how can you do this? Oh, he said, Thurman, you know, he's that crazy religious guy. You know, he's the guy believes in Jesus. He prayed for me and all of a sudden my arm works good again. Well, see, anybody with any intelligence at all knows that I'm not a doctor. You know, they know I don't have any healing power in me, but I have the healer in me. Amen. You know, and we released him that night to touch that man into healing. Now, see, if you don't go out into the highways and byways of the world, if the only place you go is to work in church, you're not going to run into many people that need very much. You've got to get out there amongst them. You know, we've made a detour today because... Probably the busiest place in the Metroplex today is right out there close to where we live. The racetrack. I mean, there is cars everywhere. There's no telling how many tens of thousands of people are out there watching those cars run around those races. Those tracks. And the motorhomes, a string of them, and somebody told me the other day that... And I don't know if it's true or not. I don't, I, maybe I shouldn't repeat things I hear, but it was a pretty reputable uh, person that told me. He said the motorhome parking spots out there for the per day during the race run from two hundred and fifty to a thousand dollars a day for a parking spot for a motorhome. Boy, I could stay in a great motel for two hundred or hotel for two hundred fifty bucks a day. I could stay in a suite. Well, they probably got some of them out there, too. But they say those suites out there that are all around the top of that place started at a million dollars. So you buy one of those for a million, and you come stay in it five times a year when they're having the races. That's pretty expensive hotel room. You know that? But the people that bought those things got more money than they know what to do with. And they're using it for themselves instead of for the glory of God. You know, now just think what could be done if those people would take that money and use it for God's glory. You know, isn't that amazing? But anyway, our spiritual authority is something we must learn. Now then, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, 
I used to wonder why, this is to start off with our spiritual authority today, I've always wondered, or did for a lot of years, why when I walk up to an individual and I say, are you a Christian? No, I don't go to church. I said, let me tell you about the best thing that ever happened to me. What, something good happened to you? Yes. I mean, I got saved. You got what? I got saved. Saved from what? Was the truck going to run over you? I mean, they don't understand the word saved. You know, don't understand when you're out there in the world and you have to explain to them that Jesus Christ came and I was destined for hell. There is a hell and I was going to go to that place. And when I found out about Jesus and how much he loved me, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And now then I have eternal life. I have a blessed life, an abundant life. And when I die on this earth, I get to go to heaven to walk on streets of gold and live in a house that's the most beautiful place you've ever seen in your life. Would you like to do that? No, no, I'm not interested. You ever had anybody tell you that? Sure. Sure, me too. And I walk off saying, what is wrong with these people? Now then, on the earth, if I were to walk up to them and say, hey, I've got a little envelope here. What's in it? $5,000 cash and two round-trip tickets from DFW to Honolulu and back. And it's yours. It's free. My gift to you. Most people would jerk it out of your hand. But some would say, hmm, there's got to be a catch to this. That's okay. You know, I mean, we're the kind of people that we've learned, you know, because, I mean, you know, if you've got an internet... And you pulled it up and it says, you know, just fill out this survey and you get $500 free at Walmart. Or if you, this is a computer outfit, just fill out this survey and you get a brand new computer at the end of the survey. I mean, they got so many things like that. And so when I first started seeing those, I thought, I wonder what the catch is to these things. And if you read close, you'll find out before you get through, they got you nailed for something that's going to cost you money the rest of your life. There ain't no free things. The only thing that's free is salvation. Everything else, there's a catch to it. Those people are not out there giving away $500 to Walmart for nothing. And they're not out there giving away free computers for nothing. There's a catch to that because they can't make a living giving you a computer. So they don't do it like that. Not in the business world. But this salvation we have is a free gift And I would wonder why people would not accept it. Well, the answer is clearly written out in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. The Lord has told us clearly. Why don't more people get saved when we tell them about Jesus? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. What we have to do, we have to take authority over the devil. Take authority over the devil in someone's life. And you will see them change. And you will get them saved. You'll have to pray for them. You'll have to do all these things. Now then, it says, you'll have to pray for people to get revelation and wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Because we're going to talk about these scriptures today that says we have to pray. And if we don't pray, nothing happens. We'll look at some scriptures here, what Peter did, and the authority 
that he has been given and you and I have been given on this earth in the name of our Savior Jesus. And how we can command these spirits to do things. And when we do it in faith, they listen to us. Now then, in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, it says, But if our gospel be hid, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. What percentage of the people today on the earth do you think is lost versus saved? you have any idea? Would you think it's 10% saved and 90% lost? Or you think it's 50-50? Or you think it's 90% saved and 10% lost? Or what would you think? You think there's more lost than they are saved? I believe that too. With all my heart, I believe that. I believe there's far, far more people lost than they are saved. Don't you, Ernest? I, I am there too. I believe that. And I used to wonder why. And then when I read these scriptures, after verse 3, verse 4 says, In whom the God of this world. Now, I read that statement one day, and it was a beautiful young lady in the group. And when I read this, she came to me after, and she said, You know, I don't know how many times. And she went to Prestonwood Baptist Church. And she said, You know, I don't know how many times I read that scripture. And when you said, and she came to a healing school and got healed, praise the Lord, by the way. It said, and you said, the God of this world. I never thought about, I thought the God of this world was Jesus. You see how we can be, you know, deceived and our mind be blinded? But it says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Well, now, wait a minute. Who would possibly blind the mind of them that believe not? Satan, you're absolutely right. The God of this world is the devil. You know, Satan himself, he's doing this. It says, less or otherwise, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, would shine unto them. Now think, if there was no devil, if there was no devil to blind your mind, how many people would accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? Everybody would, absolutely. All you'd have to do is tell somebody, hey, I got this free ticket to Hawaii and $5,000. Would you like to have it? And they say, yes, thank you. Or you say, hey, you know, Jesus has come to give us eternal life and it's free. All you got to do is just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And then we'll have a great life here on this earth. And one of these days when we're satisfied and we don't have to have no sickness, no disease or nothing. We walk holy in obedience to the word. And then we just have a great life. And then when we get to be 120 years old, if we're satisfied, we just say, Lord, I'm ready to come to the house. And he takes you to heaven and gives you a beautiful mansion with gold and diamonds and marble and everything. And then you get to live with him forever. And there's not even any taxes to be paid on that house. Now, I love that, don't you? Let me tell you, on this earth, every time you get something or buy something, you never get through paying for it. You know, I mean, you go out and buy your car and you think, well, I got me a car. I've struggled and I've saved and I finally got $5,000 saved up. I can buy me a decent car. But that's all I got is 5000 So you buy the car and you go down there and the guy says, we need $350 sales tax on that car. What? Three hundred fifty more. I don't have but five thousand. I'll give that to the guy. Well, you can't turn 
can't put the car in your name till you pay the sales tax and then the title transfer. And you mean that's all going to cost me three fifty or four hundred more dollars? Yep. So you go out and borrow four hundred dollars and come back and you pay that. And they said, now then you got to buy your license plates are expired. That costs you another seventy five dollars. I mean, it don't ever end, does it? They say, oh, by the way, the inspection sticker is about run out, and that costs you $45. you got to run down and get a new sticker on it. And you think, good grief. And then they said, then you got to have insurance. What? i got to have insurance. It don't ever stop, does it? And then if you got a house, you do all them same things, and you think, well, I finally got enough money to pay all that. It may take me another year to get out of debt, but at least I got the house. And then it, in the month of January, you get a... Tax bill, taxes, real estate taxes. And if you've got a house worth 150000 it depends on where you are, you may have a tax bill from two to $5,000 every year. You don't ever get through paying, do you? Never. It's there. So every time you buy something, they put you on a tax roll. But when we get to heaven, there ain't going to be no tax roll. You know, that's glory to God. And we're not going to have need for nothing. You know, it's not going to do any good to bring your sack of gold. You work all these years and save and scrimp and you convert your money into gold. And one day you die and you're going to take that sack of gold with heaven. And when you get there, St. Peter's going to say, what you got in your sack? He said, man, I brought my gold up here with me. He said, well, throw it down on the road there. We pave the streets with that stuff up here. Isn't that wonderful? Pave the streets with gold in heaven. But... If all this is true, and it is, why is it that so many of the people on the earth make the wrong choice? Why is it? Because who is the critter that's blinding our mind? The devil. The God of this world. Now, when we think about these things and what this devil's doing here, and then I want you to see in a scripture, I'm going to go a little bit different direction here. From talking about this God of this world that's blinding the people's minds. I want to show you a young man or a middle-aged man that the devil had blinded his mind and made him sick. And there was a man of God that knew who he was and what he could do in the name of Jesus. And it's in Acts chapter 3 verse 6. In Acts chapter 3, this magnificent story here, what Peter, of course, it, the, the leading up to verse 6, Peter and John were going to church. Good place to go, isn't it? Amen. They were on the way to church. These are godly men. Now, if you're a godly man or woman, you should want to be in your father's house somewhere on a regular basis. So Peter and John's on the way to the temple that morning. And as they're going along there, there was a man sitting outside the gate out there, and he was crippled. Now, who is he crippled, this guy? It's the devil. Now, a lot of people have a problem with this. So lots of people have a problem that Satan can bind legs and bodies and afflict them and twist them, but the Scriptures clearly teach these things. So here's a man sitting out here, and he's never walked. Now, Peter walked up there and the guy says, alms, alms, or money, money, I need some money. You know, I mean, you know, we see people all over, don't we? I mean, we see people standing on the street corners, they, you know, I'm homeless, whatever, need money. Well, that's never changed. There's been a lot of those kind of people because the devil 
is out there to have you live in a poverty mentality. He don't want you to be blessed, does he, earnest? No, he wants you to be sick and poor. But that's not God's plan. God, when he sent the Father, when he sent Jesus here to this earth, he sent him and gave him great and awesome power. And Jesus passed that power on to us, the believer. And we see this in some of the first disciples. And right here in Acts chapter 3, we see this story about Peter and John. Now then, here's the thing. When I prayed for that man in that restaurant that night, I didn't do any long begging or pleading or nothing. I just reached up and said, Father, forgive his sins. I forgive his sins. Somebody has a, some people have a great problem just like they did in the New Testament. When you say you can forgive sin, I mean, Jesus said we could in John 20, 23, didn't he? Whosoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Whosoever sins you retain, they retain. So what kind of power did God give you and me as his children? Oh. So I reached up and laid my hands on the man and said, I forgive your sins. I said, Father, I ask you to forgive your sins. I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Now, did I do that scripturally? Absolutely. Mark 16, 18, Jesus told me to lay hands on him, drive out that devil, and heal him in the name of Jesus. And I did it in faith. And when I did it in faith, the man right then didn't appear to feel a thing. I just said, thank you, Lord. He's healed. And as I remember, when I walked out of that restaurant that night, I'm walking up, going down to the car. I said, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you. You give me power over the devil. I want to thank you and praise you that that man's healed because your word says so. Well, when I walked back in that restaurant the other night, he come up and said, praise God. Thank you, Thurman. I'm healed. I'm out playing ball again. Well, of course, I had to tell him, hey, it was Jesus that did this for you. Amen. You know, you got to give him the glory, right? You got to make sure they know who did it. So anyway, here, here this little guy was. Peter had no time or didn't take the time to do anything with this man. Except when the man said, I need money. Peter said, I don't have no money. Silver and gold I do not have. But he said, what I have is much better than silver and gold. And I give it to you. He said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And I can just see that man now looking up saying, what? I can't walk. Well, Peter wasn't going to take that, was he? He said, give me your hand. And that man, I thought the man said, okay, he's going to give me some money after all. So he held his hand up. Peter reached down and grabbed that hand. He said, I said in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he forcefully, he knew that he had been given power on the earth to forgive sin just like God had. And he knew that Jesus had. And he reached out and grabbed that man's hand. And he jerked him up and he jerked that devil completely out of him. When he jerked that devil out of him, when that man hit the ground, when Peter jerked him up... If that devil left him, the man's legs come unlocked, and he hit the floor running. And he's running up and down the temple, stairs, praising God. Do you think God was glorified that day? Amen. All the people glorified and worshipped God, except the people in church. The people standing outside, they were praising God. 
But the leaders of the church came and says, bring these men down to our office. What do you mean healing that poor old sick man? Well, I mean, I thought that's what we were supposed to do. I thought we were supposed to be equal opportunity employers, didn't you? I thought it makes any difference if it's an old sick guy here or a young sick woman over here or whatever it is. We're supposed to go out in the name of Jesus and cast out devils and heal the sick. Now, Peter, he believed this. And they said, how did you do this? He said, let it be known if you think I did this by my righteousness or my holiness, let it be known that it was by faith in the name of Jesus this man stands before you healed. Is that what he said? Did he clearly say there as you read on down through those scriptures? It was not by my holiness or my righteousness this man stands before you healed. But it was by faith in the Holy One. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man stands before you well. I knew that man that restaurant the other night when I prayed for him. I knew that guy was a sinner. I knew he wasn't going to church. Then you say, why did you pray for him? Because I also know the God I serve and I know what he's doing. I know how merciful he is. I got a whole new revelation on the mercy of God when I saw the story of Isaac Reed. I got a whole new revelation. Is that right, Dave? I mean, when you see a man that had a mother and daddy that was an evangelist, and then this man does not go the way his mother and daddy did, and he goes into the world, and he becomes a drug addict, an alcoholic, a pimp, and he's sleeping with every woman on the block. I mean, he's, he becomes an international pimp. You know, and I mean, he is living in hell on earth. And then the guy gets in a drug deal in some big city, and he takes his eyes off of one of the guys, and the guy pulls a gun out and shoots him right through the mouth. And then he turns to grab the gun, because it didn't kill him. And when he grabbed the gun, the guy put the gun right down his mouth, right through his throat, and pulls the trigger again, and the bullet goes right down through his mouth and right out into his back and lodged into his back. And that locked his hands where he couldn't turn him loose. And then the guy driving across stop and stabs him 16 times with a great big long knife. I mean, do we, would you like to live like that? Forget that. I mean, I don't want to live there. But does that sound like the devil's world? I mean, this boy's living in the devil's world. And then, after he was stabbed, and he did die, and they pried him off of the guy, and they got away, and the police came, and he's the away. Pronounced dead on arrival. Right there. Picked him up, carried him down to the hospital, doctors check him, DOA. Take him down to the morgue and start doing an autopsy on him, cuts him open, and his mother, which is a great woman of God, hears about it. You talk about faith. What we can do by faith. I'm trying to teach you from the Word of God by faith in the Holy One. What we can do, Isaac Reed's mother got a hold of what had happened. And she called the hospital and said, put me on the PA. I'm going to pray for my son. But ma'am, he's downstairs. He's dead. They're doing an autopsy on him right now. They got him cut open doing an autopsy on him. She said, I don't care. Put me on the PA. 
And she began to rebuke the devil and pray the prayer of faith. And right before that guy's eyes that had Isaac Reed cut open, he started breathing and come back to life. When you do something in faith, what can God do? But what kind of faith does it take to do something like that? You've got to be in the Word. You've got to know who your God is. You know, He's got to be the mighty King. Well, Isaiah Reed, he came back to life after his mother prayed that prayer. They couldn't believe They sewed him back up and 30 days later he's out of the hospital. And guess what he does? Goes to church? No. Oh, what does he do? Right back into the world, pimping and I mean, having sex with every girl on the street, drugging, smoking, drinking, everything. If I'd have been God, do you know what I'd have done to him? If you had a son that disobedient earnest, what would you do to him? Oh, I don't even want to know. I mean, I'd, I'd beat him within an inch of his life. He'd need somebody to pray over him, that's for sure. <laughs> but God is so much more merciful than we are. And so then he's back out there in the world doing everything wrong. And then one night he's in a drunken brawl orgy with some girls and guys and everything else. I mean, they're just living in the world. And all of a sudden one of the girls starts crying. You know, what's wrong with you? Oh, I know what's wrong. You just need some more money. So he reaches in his pocket. He's got money running out his ears. I mean, you know, in this drug business he's in, he's got... In fact, he said one day they went down, he said, I'm going to go down and buy me a new Rolls Royce. He goes down and pays cash for it. On the way back, they see a brand new BMW or something, a red convertible. And one of the girls said, you need one of those as your spare car. So he said, I pulled it in and paid cash for it. He had money. I mean, when you buy a Rolls Royce and then stop by your brand new BMW Mercedes or whatever it is, uh, one of those expensive cars and pay cash for both of them, you don't have a need for money. He had money like no average guy don't never dreamed of. But he's living in sin, and he's doing all these things. And so he thought, well, I'll give this girl some money. She said, I don't want no money. He said, well, then what, you need some more drugs. So he got some, here, she said, I don't want those either. He said, look, when you find a woman, you can't please her with more money or more drugs. Ain't one thing to do, and that's knock her out. You know, so that's the world he lived in. So he pulled back to knock this girl out, and when he did, he said, I know what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to pray for you. He thought, where did that come from? <laughs> I'm going to pray for you? So he said, okay, I'll pray for you. And he prayed for her and the girl got saved. And this is in a drunken drug orgy party. The girl gets saved. And then after she gets saved, he's thinking, what is going on? I prayed for that girl and she got saved. And then he hears an audible voice. I said, how about you? What are you going to do with your life? He said, who's talking? He said, it's God. God? I don't believe in you. He's talking to him. Isn't God merciful? If I'd have been God, I'd have said, okay, let me kill you. That's what I'd do to you. But God just, he wasn't upset at all. I'm getting a whole new revelation of the grace and mercy of God watching this video about Isaiah Reed. And he said, what are you going to do with your life, Isaiah? He said, well, I'm, I, I love doing what I'm doing. He said, how would you like to come into my world? What do you mean? He said, how would you like to get saved and come with me? He said, God, I'm, I like doing what I'm doing now. I don't want to come over there in your world. 
I'm enjoying what I'm doing. He don't know what living is, does he? He was living in the devil's world. And who had blinded his mind? The devil completely. He said, oh, well, God, I'll tell you. He said, nobody can do nothing with this. He said, if you can do something with me, you think you can? God says, just ask me, Isaiah. And I'll never forget the words that came out of his mouth. Okay, God, you demand. If you can do something, do it. And he said, the next thing I know, I am on the floor, tears, mopping up the floor, repenting of every sin I've ever committed in my life. And he gets saved, and today the guy's an international evangelist. What can God do? Hey, can he forgive anything? Yeah. But now then, Isaiah Reed and the woman he married, she used to be a prostitute. And now the two of them are married together and they're serving God together. And God is using them mightily. Let me tell you, when I watched his story, I thought, Lord, when you said in your word that you're forgiving, you have reconciled the world to yourself through the blood of Jesus. And that you're not holding man's sins against them at this point. You really meant that. Here he is watching Isaiah do all these wicked things every day, and he's not upset with him. He's not holding anything against him. And any time Isaiah could come to Jesus and say, I want to get saved, and what will God do? Forgive you and save you and cleanse you and make you just as if you had never sinned in your life. That is a mercy and grace beyond my wildest dreams. You know? I mean, we don't ever forget when somebody does something wrong to us, do we? We say we forgive them. But, you know, your wife does something. Even our loved ones close to us, you know, your wife or your husband, you know. Uh, your, maybe, maybe your husband, you know, he does something you don't like. And, you know, you get right and you exercise and your wife tells you, that. Now, I don't like what you did. Don't you ever do that again. So, we forgive each other and everything goes along great. And five years later, I make a mistake. The very first thing your wife does, now, of course, you know, Cheryl and I hadn't been married five years, so I can't be using her as an example, but you make a mistake, and when you make a mistake, your wife jumps up in your face that I told you five years ago, if you ever made another mistake like this, I'll never forgive you again. Is that the way we live? Sure. I mean, that, but see, God, all these wicked things this boy did, God was just going along there. You know, and when, one day when he come to him and said, if you can do anything with me, God, save me. The Lord said, Whoosh, washed all them sins away. Now, how many of all them wicked sins does God remember today? None. So if Isaiah makes another little mistake, as far as God's concerned, that's the first mistake he ever made. You talk about a God that's merciful. Hey, the power and authority that God has given us his children once we get saved. He has given us this awesome power and He's delivered us from the kingdom of hell and translated us into His kingdom. And then He's given you and me this authority on this earth to do the same things that He gave Peter the authority to do. Peter knew it. So here's this man sitting there all afflicted, legs twisted up, the devil's got him bound. And all he can do is say, I can't work, money. Would you please give me money? That man, if Peter hadn't come along, Peter and John, 
men of faith, that man would have lived his whole life out bound by the devil and died and probably went to hell. And how many people are doing that today? Lots of them. Why? Because we will not do things in faith. I mean, you're in a restaurant and you want to pray over your meal? i tell you what, let's do. Ty, before we go in that restaurant tonight, like last night, before we go in there and have dinner tonight, maybe we'd better pray out here because we might offend somebody in there. You know, that's the way a lot of people think. Pray over my meal. Well, okay, let's just look straight ahead and we'll silently pray. And then you want God to do something for you? Forget it. I mean, if you're ashamed of Him, He's going to be ashamed of you. I mean, but, you know, when you walk in that restaurant, you pray over everything. I mean, you know, don't be hesitant to pray over your water, over your tea, over your salad, over your main course. If they bring some more water or tea, pray over that. You know, don't do nothing without praying over it. And don't be ashamed. Pray out loud. And then, when you know who you are and the authority and power you have as a Christian, then some guy's walking by, he's walking by holding his arm. You say, hey, something wrong with your arm? Oh, yeah, i got a bad rotor cuff. I mean, I love to play ball, but i got a bad rotor cuff, and I, that doctor said I ain't never going to use that arm again. How would you like for Jesus to heal you? Well, I'd love it. Well, come over here, brother. Come over here. The guy walks up to you and just put your hand on him and say, in the name of Jesus. That takes faith to do that, doesn't it? But if Peter had this kind of power, maybe we don't have it. Some people teach you you don't have this anymore. You know that? Some people will teach you this was only for the apostles. It's not for you and me. Let's let's go another step further. Let's go to John 14. And let's look at verse 12. John 14, 12. Now then, this will determine whether you believe the Word or if you believe the God of this world. Now, the God of this world is very good at what He does. He works on your mind. And He'll constantly make you think you're an unworthy sinner and that's just saved by grace and God would never do these things. I know that beast blinded my mind for years as a Christian as I read the Word of God. He deceived me. But whenever you really begin to understand what the Word says, look at what John fourteen twelve says. By the way, the king himself is speaking. Jesus says, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, He that believes on me. Now, he didn't say the first bunch of disciples. He said, He that believes on me. Are you a believer in Jesus? Hey, I'm a believer in Jesus. So he's talking to me. If Jesus is talking to he that believeth on him, then he's talking to you and me. Right, Deborah? He's talking to us. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. 
And then he puts these two awesome promises. I don't understand how I missed this so many years. And whatsoever you shall ask the Father or demand. That scripture, that word literally in the Greek where it says ask, it is demand. Whatsoever you shall demand in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you shall ask or demand anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. What is he trying to tell you here? Demand? Can you demand something from God? Hey, the secret is he's already given it to us. He's already given us all this power. So who are we demanding it from? That's exactly right. The devil. Who did Peter demand it from? The devil. He already knew the power had been given to him. He didn't... I mean, God wouldn't, wouldn't, like Dave said a while ago, we've been adopted. And when, you've been, when you have been adopted into a family, everything that belongs to that man that adopted you belongs to you. And you cannot be disinherited. Do you know in the state of Texas, you can disinherit your own children, your flesh and blood children, but you cannot disinherit an adopted child? The adopted child has greater rights than your flesh and blood children. Isn't it good news to be adopted? Hey, I'd rather be adopted than to be flesh and blood. But he has done this for you and me as his children. Now, look what he says here. We go on down here. And when you, when you think about this, and whatsoever you shall ask or demand in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Like the other night, whenever I laid hands on that man and prayed for him and God healed him, that man will remember that forever. I mean, here he is, got a bad problem. That's just like the woman, the woman a few years ago, it's amazing how quick these years go by, but it's been at least five years ago, maybe six years ago, that the woman that burned her arm so bad. I didn't have time to find out if this woman had any sins. I didn't have time to just talk. This woman's in pain. Here he is, fell into an oven and burned all the skin off her arm. She's screaming at the top of her lungs. And I go up here and say, ma'am, would you be quiet just a minute? I need to know if you've got any sins in your life. She ain't going to listen, is she? No, at this point, and God understands that. So in this case, whose faith is he going to use? Yours. That's exactly right. Your faith. So if you've got this faith in you and you've got the Word of God in you, then you can do exactly what I did with that woman that had the arm all burned. She's screaming. I run up there and put my hand on the other arm and I quoted Isaiah 53.4 where it says that he bore her pain. If he bore her pain, then she don't have to bear it. That word grief in Isaiah 53.4 in the original Hebrew, everywhere else in the Bible, that word's translated pain. So whenever I found that out, I found out when he bore your griefs, he bore your pain. So I said, Jesus bore your pain, and that word sorrows is used as sickness. 
And so I said, and he bore your pain and he removed your sickness. And I said, if he done that, you won't have to have the pain because Jesus has already taken it for you upon himself. Then I said, in Mark 16, 18, Jesus told me to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. But I said, I don't know how long it will take you to recover. So I said, in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus said, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe it with my heart, I can have it. So what kind of limitations has the king given you and me as his children today? None. All we got to do is believe these promises. So I laid my hands with my hands on her. I said, now woman, I guarantee you will get a supernatural healing from the king and his name is Jesus. It takes faith to step out like that, doesn't it? And say, I guarantee you'll get a supernatural healing from the king. Now then, if I am ambassador for Christ, I have the privilege to speak for our king. You have the privilege to speak for our king when you speak in faith, when you're walking in obedience to his word. And so by doing what the king told me in his word, I didn't hear no voice, no words from him that day. I only used what was written. And by doing what was written, immediately almost the pain went away. And the lady stopped screaming. And they couldn't understand why her arm quit hurting. Well, it stopped hurting to the point she wouldn't even go to the doctor. So she said, well, I'm just going to go ahead and serve the evening meal. She was a cafeteria cook, a little Spanish woman. You mean God loves the Spanish? Some people would make you think they don't love them. I mean, some people think because you're white, God don't love you. Some people make you think because you're black, God don't love you. Some people think because you're brown or red or yellow, you know, God don't love you. The devil will do everything in his world to blind your mind to the truth. But with God, he's no respecter of persons. He loves all of us the same. But he's a faith God. Until you step over and act in faith, you'll never see him do anything supernatural. When you get your act straightened up and you get in this word, like Peter did there, when he realizes it's faith in the name of Jesus that's going to make this happen. When I believed it was faith in the name of Jesus, I could guarantee this woman she'd get a supernatural healing from the king and his name was Jesus. Turn her loose. Pain goes away. She goes ahead. Will not go to the doctor. Serves the evening meal. I go up there and have dinner with some guys. And one of them looks down and he says, Edelina, what did you do to your arm? Well, she said, I burned it down in the oven. I fell in the oven while I goes, well, go to the doctor. No, she said, don't hurt it at all. She's just working, serving food, and there was a big old giant burn all over her arm. Big old blisters. Goes home that night. Her husband sees it. He tries to take her to emergency. She won't go. She said, if it bothers me in the morning, I'll go. But when she wakes up the next morning after a night's sleep, the king had been there in bed with her. And he done a miracle when she woke up the next morning and looked at that arm. That arm did not have one burn or mark or stripe or blister. It was perfectly, totally normal. Now, what kind of power has God given you and me? Now then, if miracles went away, like some people teach in some seminaries, then what happened to Edelina out here at SkyShift's operation six or seven years ago? What is the explanation for that arm which many people saw? What is the explanation? How did that arm get healed? Oh, I know what it was. It was very nice and cool that night, and it was a cool breeze that healed her by the next morning. 
as a doctor, is that possible? No. Who could possibly heal a burned arm like that overnight? Jesus. How did he do it? Because I spoke in his name by faith. Now then, if he's no respecter of persons, and you'll speak in faith, what will he do for you? He'll do the same thing. All you've got to do is do what the king says. Hide his word in your heart. Do what he says. And he'll do the very same thing for you he did for Peter. I mean, he's no respecter of persons. Does God love Peter more than he does me? Not at all. He loves us all the same. Every one of us. But it doesn't make any difference how much he loves you. That's not what determines whether he does miracles or healings for you or not. It's by faith in his name. That's what he does. He is a faith God, and without faith, he said, it's impossible to please me. Now, if you can't please the king, what's he going to do for you? Nothing. That's exactly right. Nothing. You've got to do some things in faith. Now then, we see what Peter did here. He demanded in the name of Jesus that this happen. If you and I start doing some things in faith, you know, now this is, this is the way you don't do it. I remember this little woman, and it was a snowy day in December a few years ago, when this woman had contacted me because she'd been into a health food store in Louisville, and this woman, when she found out her son, 16 years old, was blind, she said, you need to get a hold of a Baptist Sunday school teacher in Justin by the name of Thurman Scrivener. And she said, why do I need to get a hold of him? said, miracles follow this man. So she called me. And she said, would you meet me Sunday afternoon about 1 o'clock after church in my office in Louisville? I said, well, is there going to be anybody there besides you? She said, yes, my son. And there will be another woman there. I said, okay, so there will be three of you and me. Okay, I'll meet you there. I'll never forget that day. It was snowing like crazy. I mean, it snowed that day. The devil did not want me to drive in that snow to get to Louisville. But I went anyway. I drove over there on the road. I pulled in front of that business and parked. And I went in. And about five hours later, actually about two hours later, the little woman began to cry. I said, man, what's wrong with you? I had a Bible that had marked all these problems. And I'm going through the Bible showing her all these things about who the enemy is, the power we've been given over him, and what we can do in the name of Jesus. And she said, I've been in church. I've been a Christian for years, and I didn't know those things. I said, ma'am, I know. She said, I would give anything for a Bible that's marked like that one. I said, well, today, I said, today, when we get through what we're doing, this Bible is yours. I'll give it to you. And I did. I gave her my own personal Bible that day. And since then, I've marked many of them. But I continued to work, get that little boy's faith built up. Here he is, a 16-year-old boy, totally blind. A tumor on his optic nerve is pressing down on his brain and he can't see. Raymond Tam was his name and Nancy was his mother. At the end of the about four and a half, four and a half, four hours and 45 minutes, whatever it was, I said, now son, I have built your faith from the word of God all afternoon long. Now I'm going to start praying for you. So I put my hands on his head 
And when I put my hands on his head, I begin to say, you devil of hell, I curse you in the name of Jesus. I command you to come out of him in the name of Jesus. I curse that tumor. I command that thing to dissipate. Come out of him, devil, in Jesus' name. I said, son, open your eyes. Tell me you can see. He said, I can't see a thing. Right back at it. You devil. And I just stayed with it. And I just got rougher and tougher. And I, I just, about 45 minutes of doing that, every five or ten minutes, I'd say, open your eyes and tell me you can see. I said, sir, I can't see a thing. By this time, I'm 45 minutes into this, screaming just like that. I'm nearly five hours at least worth of teaching. And all of a sudden, I said, ma'am, you want to take a turn? I, I need to, my voice needs to take a break. And she said, sure, I'll pray for him. So she comes up and she put her hands on his head. She lays her hands on his head and said, Mr. Devil, will you please come out? Do you think anything's going to happen? The devil, he loves it. I said, ma'am, that's okay. Sit down. I'll take it. I knew nothing was going to happen with this poor little woman with no more faith than she had saying, Mr. Devil. I mean, you might say Mr. Somebody, but you don't say Mr. to the devil. He's a beast, isn't he, Ernest? I mean, you kicked that beast out. You know? I got to tell this story on y'all. You may, you may not like it. But the other night when we got ready to leave, there was a great big old cat come out here. <laughs> and that cat run up to Ty and run right up on his leg and when Ty saw him, he just kicked that cat and that cat went plumb over the other block I mean he, he really kicked it but who knows what that cat's going to do you know that cat might have been sent from the devil he was, I, he was. <laughs> I have cast demons out of cats I have seen cats totally change when I cast a demon out of them. I didn't know this for a long time. But now that when I'm beginning to see and understand the spirit world, I know the devil. In fact, I'm going to tell you that devil that day was laying under my tractor out yonder a couple of years ago or a year ago, whatever it was, a year and a half, whatever it was. That I was laying on, under that tractor working on it when that big old brown recluse spider crawled out from there and bit me right there. I'm telling you, the devil sent that beast. You know, that didn't come from God. The devil can use the insect world. I mean, he can use it. He is called the Lord of Flies. You know, isn't that something? The God of Flies. The devil. We don't understand who this beast is. But anyway, I continued for another 45 minutes to rebuke them devils of hell, curse those tumors, command him things to come out of him. I never saw nothing happen. I finally was so tired, I said, that's it, Nancy. It's done. I guarantee he's healed. I don't see nothing. No manifestation, nothing. They go home. He can't see a thing. Three or four weeks later, I called her. I said, how's everything going? She said, well, he's still totally blind. I said, but he's healed in the name of Jesus. About three weeks later, I walked in the house. Amanda, my daughter. She was sitting there that afternoon. I walked. She said, oh, by the way, Daddy, Miss Nancy Tam called today and said to tell you... Uh, Raymond woke up this morning. He could see fine. Now, do you ever give up? You don't never give up, do we, Dave? I mean, if, ever, if there's anybody in here who knows that, you know that, don't you? 
You don't never give up. See, when you don't give up, when you know that Jesus has given you and me all power over this devil, and when you know he said, stop sinning, walk like I did, walk in obedience to my word, do the best you can. But I know you're going to make mistakes once in a while. So when you make those mistakes, repent of your sins. Get back in a right relationship with me, and don't let the devil make you think that it's by your righteousness or your holiness that this is happening, but it's by faith in my name, the name of Jesus, that you're getting this done. And when you get a hold of that, hey, what I'm doing, I mean, that's, that's how I could lay hands on that man the other night in that restaurant and command that devil to leave him and be healed in the name of Jesus. And then just last night, get to see the man walk up to me and say, praise God, I'm healed. I'm playing ball. I can do anything I want to do. That's what he told me. I can do anything I want to do. Do we serve an awesome Jesus? Just think. He's given you and me this awesome power in his name. When you read a scripture like John 14, 12, it's almost more than you can take in, isn't it, Ernest? Jesus said, I tell you the truth. And for a God that can't lie, it's amazing how many times he says, I have to tell you all the truth. Truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes in me, not only can you do what I've been doing, but greater things than these that I've done shall you do in my name. Now, one of the first things you need to realize, you'll never do a miracle greater in quality than Jesus did. So what does he mean then, greater works? I'm going to tell you something I've done in the name of Jesus that's so far greater than the king ever done. I'm going to tell you, what do you think the greatest number of people that Jesus preached to in his entire life? How many at one time, maybe? 10, 15, 20, 30,000? That's a pretty big crowd, isn't it? Did you know that I have had the opportunity to be in a million people's homes at the same time? And starting in just a few days, the 15th of this month, we're going to be on satellite television that covers the rest of the world. And we're going to have the potential to be in over 4 billion people's homes at the same time. Jesus never preached to a billion at one time, did he? But he'll do it through you and me. Little did I know as a country boy, a farm boy, that the day would come that starting the 15th of this month, we will be on satellite television, six 30-minute shows a week that covers two-thirds of the globe of the face of this earth. Isn't that awesome? And here's something else that will really shock you. It doesn't cost me a dime. They're doing it for us for free. How many people do you know get to go on television that many people and don't have to pay for it? You know what, you know what a secular television program would cost you to cover that kind of coverage six times a week? On secular? There's no telling. There is absolutely no telling. Did you know that when I was on Daystar years ago, we had one one hour program on Daystar. One. One time a week on Friday afternoon. One hour. 
and it cost us over $1,500, and that's before Daystar uh, uh, was on satellite. They just covered a very small area, but we paid them $1,500 every Friday for that show. $1,500. One hour show. That's been six or eight years ago. So when you get six 30-minute shows every week, can you only imagine to cover two-thirds of the world what that would cost? But Jesus can do anything beyond your wildest dreams. Beyond your wildest dreams. Little did I know what he was going to do. I had no idea the number of people he was going to bring to the healing center out there, the number of people that we send out stuff to. And, of course, I never dreamed that I would be sending hundreds of dollars a week worth of postage alone to Ghana, Africa. Last week, I went to the post office box. We had stuff going to Africa, Philippines, Australia, India. Huh? Yeah, oh, yeah, Pakistan. It's... All Germany, that's had, I mean, it's amazing. Who would have ever thought that God would use you like this? Beyond your wildest dreams, isn't it? But what can the king do? And who does this ministry belong to? The king. I am so humbled to get to be one of his servants. Because if anybody gets saved, he does it. Anybody gets delivered, he does it. Anybody gets healed, he does it. All I do is just act on his word. That's all you and I can do. I, I, I remember something Kenneth Hagin said. I was in one of his meetings one time, and he was praying for people. And he said, you know, I was going down the line laying hands on people. And people were, somebody would scream and say, I'm healed! And praise God. Well, he said, I laid hands on another one, and the guy collapsed. And he thought, well, I guess he fell under the power. So I laid my hands on the next one. Somebody come back to me and said, Brother Hagin, this guy's dead. He has no pulse. He died when you laid your hand on him. He killed him. He said, take it up with Jesus. He's the king. He walked up to the next woman says, be healed in the name of Jesus. Be healed in the name of Jesus. He said, hey, this ain't my ministry. It's his. He didn't even flinch. When the guy fell dead. Somebody said, what are you going to do? He said, no problem. You know, he said, that's not my ministry. It's his. He said, that woman got healed. That and died. So... God's in control, not me. So all you and I got to do is get people to repent of their sins and touch them in the name of Jesus. And he does the rest, doesn't he, Ernest? If there's any healing that takes place, you and me didn't do it, did we, Rosemary? It was the king. king. So if one gets healed, the next one dies. I mean, he did say, if they commit the sin unto death, then he knows their heart, doesn't he? He You and me don't know their heart. That's why we just pray for them. That's just like the day one of the guys called out the ministry center. And, I mean, I would, I would call his name, but, but I'm not going to. But he it was just really learning how to walk by faith. I mean, he's a great man. He called out there and said, i got to talk to Thurman. My mother-in-law's just had a stroke. And the little secretary was there that day. She said, but Thurman's not here. He's out. He said, i got to have somebody to pray with. said, you pray with me. She said, I couldn't pray the prayer of faith with you. I don't know nothing hardly at all about the Word of God. He said, but i got to have somebody pray. My mother-in-law's in the hospital with a stroke. Will you pray with me? She said, well, I'll agree with you. <laughs> so he prayed. And she agreed. And just what happened to his mother-in-law. She got healed. I mean, when he called back and told her that, said, my mother-in-law's healed. Man, did that little girl, it took her faith and put her on a whole new blade. 
Who owns the Living Savior Ministries? The King. It don't make no difference who you are. If you work for us, the King, you're under His covering. When you speak in His name, He can do anything because that's His ministry. And everybody that gets healed or gets delivered, He does it. But it sure does make it fun when we get to pray for them. It's so much fun when we get to pray for somebody and they call back and say, I'm healed, isn't it, Rosemary? It's wonderful. And we all get to see that. I mean, we all, didn't we, Brittany? I mean, when you were out there all the time, you even prayed for people and got to see God do wonderful things, didn't you? Sure. We all get to see God do wonderful things at the ministry. Now then, here's we're going to go one more little thing here and we're going to quit for the day. But in Ephesians chapter 1 and 3, Paul gives us some prayers that we need to learn to pray. And you need to take Ephesians 1 and 3 and you need to pray these prayers for people putting their name in here and your name in here. Because if Paul spoke these and the Holy Spirit put it in the Word of God, these are examples we are to use. Every one of us. So in Ephesians chapter 1, he says here in verse 16, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, you, I pray that kind of prayer of faith for people up here on a regular basis. But if you want to have knowledge and wisdom and revelation and understanding, you've got to put your name in there and ask the Lord to do that for you. Now then, if you put your name in there, will He honor your prayer? Yes, He will. This is an example. And then He says in verse 18, He says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, or to put your name there, who believe according to the working of his mighty power. When you pray that prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, you will see the Lord do these great and mighty things. But stay on his doorstep. Keep asking. And then we go to, I think it was Ephesians 3. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 3. And we go to verse 14, 15, 16, and 17, and 18 and 19 over there. And it says, For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my thought to you is, when is the last time you've been on your knees before God with your hands raised praying? If you haven't done that in a while, then you need to take this example that Paul said here, and you need to pray like that. When you get on your knees, there's not anything wrong when you fall off the side of your bed on your knees with your hand raised, humbling yourself in the presence of your king, worshiping him. Lord, I am... Absolutely a piece of flesh. But I know you love me and I know you want to do good things through me. So I humble myself on my knees here before you and I ask you to do these great and mighty things for me. Now, as you kneel there, Paul said he did that. I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth 
is named. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you're being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. I do too, brother. I receive that. Now, if Paul took those two prayers in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 and he prayed them for those people... It's good examples of what we need to pray for ourselves, right? Or, if you got a brother or a sister, or you got a person, maybe they're not your brother and sister yet, but maybe they're one of your loved ones, and or it could be a brother and sister already, that their eyes have been blinded by the God of this world. Because I was one of those Christians that was in church that my eyes had been blinded by the God of this world, and I didn't know nothing about nothing except salvation. I knew I was saved. But I mean, I did not know Jesus was a deliverer. I didn't know he was a healer. I didn't know he answered prayer. I had no idea that I could walk up to a man in a restaurant, forgive his sins, and say, be healed in the name of Jesus. I mean, I went through 50 years plus, years of my life, and never done that. Because nobody ever told me I could. I'd read it in the Bible, but I didn't believe I could do that. Because if what the Bible said was true, somebody had to be doing this. But there wasn't. Not in my church. Wasn't nobody. In fact, I had a guy come one day after in the Baptist church. I walked out of my classroom. A guy said, Thurman, come in here. Okay. So I turned around walked in there. He said, hey, I got a question. Why is it when you lay hands on the sick, they get well? I said, well... When's the last time you reached up and laid hands on somebody in faith and expected them to get well? He said, well, I ain't never done that. I said, well, that's why you don't ever see God do anything. How hard did he make it? Be healed in the name of Jesus. Now, then it's in God's hands, isn't it, Rosemary? When you and me pray that kind of... Or, if we can't get to them to touch them, they're on the telephone. We can say, you know, Jesus said if two of us on earth agreed about anything, he'll do it. So we say, Lord, and you ask them, you pray the prayer of faith, whatever they need, and say, Lord, thank you, it's done. And say, do you agree? They said, yeah, I agree. So praise God, it's done. And then, of course, maybe in a few minutes or the next day or the next week, they run into you the grocery store and say, Rosemary, you prayed the prayer of faith for me the other day and I got healed. Well, she says, well, what did you expect? What did you expect? You don't know what we did. I can't believe it. No, no, no. We don't go there, do we, Rosemary? We used to live there. We don't live there no more. No more. I mean, the king said it. You can do it. Believe it. And let your confession be the Word of God. Now, the secret of this whole thing is you can never rise above your confession. If your confession is, well, I hope he'll do something when I pray. Forget it. If you're confessing it, the Word said, Jesus said, this is what He said, and quote it. If Jesus said it, I can do it. If Jesus said, nothing is impossible to them that believe, praise God, I'm one of them that believe, Lord. So that means nothing's impossible to you and me. Now you've got to realize that on earth, Jesus needs you. He can't do anything until He's got you. 
Amen. Until, until you go over and lay hands on that sick person. When you go over and that, that person that's hurting, and you rebuke that devil, command that thing to leave and out of her or him in the name of Jesus and do it in faith. At that point, Jesus can move. I mean, he can do great and mighty things. So I believe that it's time that we as a church really take this word to heart. Because I believe in the days ahead, there's going to be a devastation and a devastating time come upon the face of the earth that if you as a Christian don't know how to walk in these promises, you will die prematurely. You will never make it to the full long life God's promised you. Because the devil knows the end of his time is near. And he is raising his ugly head Everywhere you look in the earnest. And he is attacking Christians right and left. And he's bringing plagues and sickness and disease and storms and everything. I mean, you look at the whole southern part of our United States in the hurricanes and the storms. Isn't it devastating what has happened? I mean, you can go down to a city that used to be intact at the city of New Orleans. And you can drive for miles and there's nothing but debris. The place is destroyed. Who did that? The devil did. Why did he do that? Because he had legal right to it through sin. He had legal right. You know, somebody told me a story the other day. Now, I don't know if this is true, but if anybody knows it to be true, if, you, if I have another confirmation, I'd like to have it as I tell this story. But I do know the first part of it is true. I knew that the homosexuals were going to have decadence day the next Saturday in New Orleans before it was destroyed. I know that's a fact. But whenever that happened and New Orleans was wiped out, then they decided they were going to have it in Florida. And just a few days before they were going to have it in Florida, that hurricane down there wiped that one out. And then they decided it would come to Houston. And they would have it in Houston. And just a few days before they was going to have the one in Houston, Houston, the whole area down there, what was it, Wilma or Rita or who? Rita. Rita wiped that out. You would think they would get the message. But also that prophet told us the other day, said that when the bird flu comes to the world in people, that every person that has HIV will die. Everyone. That's what a prophet told us the other day. If that's true or not, I don't know. But all i got to say, if you're a Christian and you've had HIV, you better repent of whatever sin brought it on there. And you better start walking in the faith of God so you can get healed. Because if you don't, when that bird flu comes, you ain't going to make it. But let me tell you something else. If you're a Christian and you don't learn how to walk by faith, if that bird flu comes to America, and many people believe it's going to hit within the next few months or maybe a year, maybe not even that long. Some people believe it's going to be here by the fall. And it's all over the news. If it does hit, and you're not a Psalms 91 walker, you're going to be in big trouble. But I mean, just think, if you're not a Psalms 91 walker, and you're 30, 40, 50 years old, and you die. And if you're a Christian, at least you get to graduate to heaven, which not too bad. you know. But I don't know about you, but I kind of enjoy living down here, don't you? I enjoy living and serving the king. I mean, I've had a blessed life on this earth. 
I mean, I have done so many wonderful things. I have so enjoyed life. God said He come to give you and me abundant life. And I'm telling you, I've had the privilege to live it. I've had the privilege to live it. And I'm so grateful to the King. So grateful to the King. Now, I've worked hard through all of it, but I've still enjoyed every minute of it. I've been out there working. I've worked. I mean, I've done what the Lord says. I've made a decent living. I've provided for my family decently. And, I mean, you know, we didn't have millions, but we were okay. We were really in good shape. God has provided for us abundantly. And it's all because I put Him first, and we never, ever had any sickness and disease in our family. I mean, you know, as far as hospital stays. I'm the only one ever spent a day in a hospital. You know, that was just a day. I had one night whenever, and it was, you know, they was going to do a test on me, a physical, and that physical said I had a heart problem. Whereas, I didn't believe I had a heart problem, but because of that, I had to have an angiogram run. My company required it, and I had to spend one night in the hospital. And the devil tried everything in the world to get me to confess I was having a heart attack, and I would not do it. And so, praise God, I'm still alive and well years later. You know, no problem. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for this book. And Lord, we take those Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 prayers... And we ask you, Father, we put our names in there. We ask you to give us revelation, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of the spirit world and how it all works. And, Lord, so that we will know and see and understand what's going on on this earth. So we won't yield to the devil. So we'll yield only to you and we'll be, we will allow you to use us mightily for your kingdom. Lord, I thank you and praise you that we're children of God. I thank you and praise you. You've given us all power over the devil. I thank you and praise you that you've given us power over sickness and disease. And Lord, we don't have to be sick when we walk in faith. Because Lord, I have seen that work in my own life in the last 20 something years. I am so grateful that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. And that Lord, you've given us power over the enemy. So Lord, this week as we go, give these people the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding to be able to do something in faith, to pray for people that are sick and afflicted and beat upon by the devil, and do great and mighty things so that you will be glorified. You told us if we would keep your commandments, we would glorify you. So, Lord, that's what we want to do, is bring glory and honor to you. You sent Jesus to this earth, and he cast out devils and healed the sick, and you said he was doing your will. So, Lord, if Jesus was doing your will, then Jesus sent us to go and do the same things. So, Lord, help us to be glorifying and be about your will this week as we go. And may everything we do this week bring glory and honor to your name. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.